Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's interview is with Miroslav Valesh, who has a PhD in Spanish philology from the Palatsky University in Olomouc, Czech Republic. Since 2007, he has been the head of department of Romance Languages at the Technical University of Liberec, Czech Republic. His research interests include sociolinguistics with a particular focus on minority languages. He has carried out several projects working on native languages of America, such as Lakota and Shuar. Since 2012, he has been cooperating with the community of Afala speakers in Spain, and he has published papers regarding various aspects of the Afala language. Just to let our listeners know, there is some sensitive material discussed in this interview, including traditional practices that some people may find disturbing. Also, this is the last episode of season one. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in with questions and followed and subscribed to Field Notes. Season two will be announced on the Field Notes website, fieldnotespod.com, and on social media, Instagram and Twitter, which you can follow us there at lingfieldnotes. Welcome, Miro. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy conference schedule to talk to us and our listeners. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So to start, can you talk us through briefly your fieldwork biography? Well, my fieldwork biography actually started when I started with my thesis, with my PhD thesis, and it was in Granada. And my early field works included Southern dialect of Spanish and Andalus. And my PhD thesis was about that. So the first field work was in the year 2000 and the next was in 2004. The first was for a thesis and the, the other was for a postdoc. So that's where I started. Then I continued with minority languages already. And the first uh, was Fulbright scholarship to study Lakota in uh, southern Dakota. And it was a very impressive experience. After that, from uh, 2010, more or less, I started to cooperate with the Shuar, which is a native group in the Amazonian uh, part of Ecuador. And now, lately, since 2012, I've been working with Afala, which is a community on the border of Spain and Portugal, three villages speaking a language of uh, Romanic origin. And you work with all three villages? I work with all three villages um, because I try to be unbiased and include all three in equal parts. But still, my residence is in one of the three villages, so I'm slightly more bound I with see. one of the three. But yeah, I include all the three varieties. Okay. So maybe for this episode, we can focus mostly on your work with the Shuar community. Can you talk about how how did you start working with them? How did you choose that community or that language to work on? It's pretty easy to explain. First, I went there as a tourist because I was curious and f- fell in love with the jungle. I loved the rainforest. It 
It was a beautiful experience. So for that reason, I also got closer to the people. And once I was in the community, I was interested in the language, naturally. I started studying the language and I started studying uh, various aspects of the language, mostly the, the phonology mm-hmm. and the variation, because the Shuar territory is pretty extensive and the language belongs to a family which uh, was traditionally called uh, Hivaru, but we kind of renamed it to Chicham. And there are various languages, and it is a nice example of a language continuum, and it is not quite clear where the exact border lines between the languages are, and what is language, what is a dialect, and what's uh, closer to, to what. So it is also one of the topics that I was interested in. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Can you give some details about the language vitality now, or the language context? Yeah, I can give it in nice comparison with the Lakota language. Okay. When I was with Lakota, the youngest speaker probably were 35 years old. And they were no young, practically no young speaker of 25 and below. And Shuar is in the similar situation of a decrease. It is only maybe 40, 50 years behind. So in general, the grandparents speak the language, the generation of parents speak the language with the grandparents and between them, but they speak Spanish to to the children. The children still passively understand Shuar because uh, they are in contact with the grandparents and parents, but between them, among them, they speak only Spanish. So you can sometimes see really the loss of the language in three generations and it's gone like that. So they are in pretty serious uh, situation. Some other parts of the language family, I studied too as a part of the project. I say Shuar, but it is also Wambisa and Achuar. So Wambisa and Achuar, they are in much better situation because there the intergenerational transmission has not been interrupted yet. And the children also speak the language because they are somehow more isolated, more deeper in the jungle they have a less history of contact with Spanish. Can you talk a little bit more about your research interests in general? I mean, a language documentation and description is uh, this latest research okay. with Afala. Mm-hmm. While with Shuar, it was more the variation. variation. The variation and the continuum matter. So kind of uh, describing how... The variation gradually passes uh, from one language to the other, which is uh, sometimes really nice because the continuum is actually a line because the line is a river and the people live along the river. They don't live out of the river. And so once you go down the river uh, and you make interviews, you can see that gradually you take 10 words And in the next village, nine is the same like in the previous. In the next, it is eight. In the next, it is seven. Well, this is very simplified, of course. But you can see that gradually, more and more words are different, Mm -hmm. up to the point that you've got a different language. Now, saying between this and that village is the line between that language and that language. It's, of course, very difficult. You can't do that. It's really... 
really nice environment and very illustrative how the continuum works. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about um, some challenges that you've faced while you're in the field? You've done a lot of field work, and I'm sure all the communities were mm-hmm. different. Can you say something about that? There are many, many challenges. Some communities give you more challenges than others. Uh, the Lakota was, um, I don't want to be ugly, but it was not really a welcoming community. And to outsiders. Yeah, to the outsiders, of course. And me as a, as a white... I was always seeing not really, and I didn't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. While with the Shuar, I, it was quite fine, but the challenges are, were also really great because uh, the most important and the most significant was probably the access to the communities. Uh, not only the physical access, because sometimes you have to work in the uh, in the jungle for a day, or uh, you go by the river. Um, I actually liked that part. It was a nice challenge and I enjoyed it. My guide uh, didn't really enjoy that much walking. <laughs> She didn't like walking. But more challenging was probably to find a way how to stay in the community because, of course, I can't just come to the community and say, hi, I'm Miro and I will be living with you now. So <laughs> it's not that easy. And um, to explain why it is not easy, uh, you need to know a bit about the history of the contact uh, of these people. There are two aspects probably. One is that uh, in 2009, they were kind of riots in which the Shuar were rebelling against the uh, against the government, basically, if I simplify it. And the government and the Shuar are not really friends. And the Shuar, uh, for that reason, kind of isolate the communities from any government agents, from any mining agents, mining company agents, logging company, gold from, uh, finders and all of that. So any foreigner is seen as a potential threat or something suspicious at least. Another, uh, you might laugh, but is a story that's vaguely based on a legends, uh, traditional legends of Pishtaku. But uh, many times the people were telling me stories that really happened and there are pictures there are whatever uh, the story always goes in in terms uh, that there are four white men with all the guns and all the armory can imagine and they killed the shuar and then they were dragging it and that the uh, the people were persuading and the people are persuading them and they just disappeared like that the, the white people, people the white people that disappeared like that like they just Vanished. 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 And they believe it. The point is that the Shuar were traditionally uh, headhunters. They were uh, cutting hats to the enemies and they were shrinking them. And the question, the most important questions for a Shuar is, ¿Quién es corta cabezas? Who is the headhunter? Who is cutting hats? And they actually abandoned the custom in about 50s of the 20th century, so not that long ago. I have interviews with people who saw their father to be chopped his uh, head off. Oh yeah. my god. Oh my gosh. And uh, they used to live in the continuous 
it wasn't war, it was a revenge, more or less. And small attacks, like um, 20 people uh, ambushed a village, <laughs> cut a few heads and got back. And then there was a revenge, and, tu -tu -tu -tu, and it was continuous like that. And it was up to 50s, so... The 1950s. 1950s. And then what happened that uh, in uh, 2009, 10, 8, I can't remember exactly, they found about five or six uh, bodies without a hat. So Fresh, some, fresh bodies? Yeah. Oh so someone did that. And uh, most likely for business purposes, because they still can remember how to shrink the heads, the technological part of the of that, and you can sell it in these uh, parts of the world. If you can sell something for ten thousand dollars to some crazy uh, curiosity collector, it is a good reason to kill someone. And of course, who killed the people? The white people, the, the foreigners, gringos. Gringos. Uh, well, later they found out the uh, head of the gang was a vice mayor of one of the villages, uh, which is called Yaupi. Yaupi. But once you uh, stick the label on the foreigners, it's there. So the Shuar believed that the white people had killed these headless uh, yeah, murder victims? Yeah, or that they ordered it. Actually, oh, the, the Shuar people believe that white people cut hats. Because the question... Yeah. Oh. The question is, who is the headhunter? Who is the... Quien es corta cabezas? Y la respuesta, the, the answer is quite clear. The white people, gringos, are corta cabezas. So just imagine I got to a community going along the river in my boat, well, not my rented boat, with boatman and guide, and we got to the family. I was walking around the village, I talked to the teacher, we uh, sat for an interview the next day, that he would give me an interview, and everything's going fine. And then, in the evening, they had something like a sound system along uh, the village, and there was the Apu, which is the like a mayor of the village, uh, speaking. Well, I couldn't understand. He was speaking in Wambisa. This was with Wambisa, which is part of the Shuar. And he was speaking and speaking, and I was happily drinking and eating and uh, having a good time. While my guide, she knew what he was speaking about. She didn't tell me. Well, in the morning, the two guys came, and of course, people are visiting the, all the time, so I thought they just, someone from the family came to visit. It was a, actually an inquiry committee, and they were asking me why, what, and so on, blah, blah, blah. What were you doing there? What were I doing there, and uh, what uh, what kind of agent am I, okay. whether it is oil company or whether, it's, whether it is government or who I actually came to kill. And later, and the guide told me that the discourse, uh, the evening discourse, was in terms, uh, you know, there is a white person uh, who came uh, to our community, so please be careful. We all know that white people cut heads, so be careful of the children, don't leave them alone. Yeah, in these terms, seriously. And anyone who would be uh, willing to help this person is kind of a treasoner of the community and in these terms. And so in the morning, uh, well, I was actually lucky because the uncle where we were staying was kind of 
kind of strong enough person and reasonable uh, enough person to say, okay, I can have uh, whoever I want in my house and I don't mind what they say, mm -hmm. which was uh, a good luck for me. Even the inquiry committee got pretty pleased that they found out that I'm quite harmless, strange linguist and uh, that I'm not that danger that I seemed to, but still. <laughs> wow. So, of course, uh, access to these communities is not easy. Uh, usually you need a go good contact. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I got a good contact because of the president of a few communities uh, was a good friend of my friend. Okay. And so I got to the community and I was teaching English, actually. I, was, I spent there a week teaching English. And it was really good strategy because uh, the people accepted me. I was not a strange foreigner running around, but I was the one who teaches their children English. And it was highly appreciated. Okay. And so it was a good good way to, to get to, to the communities. But in other cases, it was not that successful. And even in one case that it was pre-negotiated, I got to the community and they had a meeting and they asked me if I'm ready to pay the electrification of the, of the village, like the cables, the bulbs and more or less $2,000. And if I said that not really, so, you know, over there Here's is your, the door. your your boat is over there eh? yeah and they just kicked me out so you had to leave See, yeah i had to leave i went to another community i was received really nicely just like always and then when they started talking about a meeting i just uh, went to the boat and i went out because uh, the result was quite clear And the strategy that seemed to work was that we stopped where one family lived, only one family. And if uh, the head of the family agrees that you can stay, so you can stay. And so I stand, stayed with uh, Don Carlos, who became uh, an excellent friend and very older person, 84, which is really old for that part of the world. And it was really nice, and I visited him more times. Uh, he didn't ask for any money. Mm -hmm. Of course, I gave him, and I gave him quite a lot of money, but it was a voluntary, and, and he's a good friend until now. I hope he's still living and healthy. The last time I saw him was last year. Mm -hmm. So in 2018, I saw him, and he was fine. He was still 84. The first time I saw him, he was 84, and last year he was also 84. So um, he probably doesn't really know what his age is. Or maybe he's just optimistic. No, in those days, they, the Shuar were not counting the age. Okay. They were actually not able to count. And all these things like, how old are you? They couldn't understand the question. Yeah. So, that it's not important or they only used numbers from one to five they could get to ten mm -hmm. and with uh, really serious uh, trouble uh, using the toes from your from your feet uh, they could get to 20 but uh, most frequently they only used one to five and that was it mm -hmm. and so they couldn't count really age because that's yeah. beyond beyond the count also for instance the the concept of color they don't have word for color 
Really? They don't have the word color or they don't have words for different colors? They have words for different colors, but they don't have a different color. So you can't ask the question, what color is this? Wow. What do you say? <laughs> I was uh, using various like similar questions, uh, but uh, it's, difficult to, it's a difficult question to make. Yeah, that is a difficult so, question. Wow. I mean, uh, there are certain concepts that we consider very basic or automatic, like age, color. But they're and not it's universal. Not, it's not that automatic. Yeah. And it's also one of the nice things that you find in the communities, that the values can be completely, completely different from what you are accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm so interested about this color thing. So... Did you just say, please describe this thing? And Actually, it was a part of my research uh, that I was showing them uh, cards with various colors and pictures where there were like a red parrot and blue parrot and green parrot. And so I was asking about the color things. Those results are not completely done yet. Okay, uh, they so are it's still, still, open. In my com still open. But it seems that the traditional, I would say, the traditional colors that they were making on purpose like for painting for their dresses which was red white black and actually these three red white and black so they have slightly more persistence than other colors that you can see around you like green all around it is green But uh, many people don't know how to say green. So it seems to be going, uh, going from the language. That's really interesting. But traditionally, there was a word for green. Yeah, sure. there was a word for okay. green. But it's, been, it's being lost. Yeah, mostly people use the Spanish words for that, verde. They just say verde. Wow, that's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your current project with Fala? Yeah, sure. I can talk about that. The difference, uh, if I try to continue with the, the previous one, is that the community, the Fala community, is extremely welcoming. I was actually lucky because I started uh, with Lakota, then the Shuar were much better, and now it's uh, it's paradise, actually. Because they're so open yeah, to working open. with you. We also, it's a European community, mm -hmm. so we share values. I mean, the same values, uh, so you know what to expect from the people. And they are really nice and, and grateful that someone is interested in their language. So it's uh, really nice. The project is now about documentation, description documentation. And the most part of it is uh, simply to create a database. Okay. To create a database based on recordings and existing existing texts. Now, um, the database then gives the possibilities of making a dictionary, sketch grammar, archiving things. And so the most part of it is simply to collect the primary data. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. I think we should say that we should mention that in terms of welcomingness of communities... It's for good reasons, right? Yeah, sure, sure. History. Uh, the historical reasons uh, with Lakota, for instance, are quite clear. Uh, even though we can't say that the Shuara had uh, much ex much better experience, so they would also have a 
reason good to reason distrust to you. be to distrust. While in most cases they were quite nice, they were mm-hmm. quite nice. Uh, even though I was telling the stories of uh, the head hunting and cutting the head, so in most cases they were quite nice, and it was pleasant to travel in the communities and uh, actually at the end the last two uh, field trips I was traveling alone without a local guide and I was just going where I wanted to go and I already knew the strategies how to enter the communities by myself and you were known by them so you weren't a stranger it's also of course friend of a friend uh, and this kind of system yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your daily routine when you're in the field? Maybe you can compare your daily routine when you were working with the Shuar to your daily routine now with the Fala community. Well, my daily routine is not really set, but in general, I try to work the creative things uh, in the morning. And if I need something to concentrate on, uh, I try to do it in the morning because my brain is somehow brighter in the morning. Yeah. What but do you mean by creative things? If I need to like um, write a paper, which okay. is not the case of uh, the project, but maybe uh, a transcription. Mm-hmm. A transcription. I try to do the transcription in the morning while some mechanical work works uh, like backup data, whatever, uh, in the evening. With the interviews, of course, you don't really have a routine. You ask people for interview and they tell you, okay, tomorrow in the morning or tomorrow in the afternoon. And even th- though I don't like afternoon, I simply go in the afternoon. You know, I'm grateful that the person will have time for me. And so there is actually no routine. You do the things as they come. Mm -hmm. It was the same. Well, it was slightly different with the Shuar because usually there I was more traveling. So I stayed three days in one community and doing the interviews. And then I went to another community and then to another. So it was different while here I'm based in one of the three villages Mm -hmm. where I am all the time. And when I need something in the other village, I simply go there and I do an interview or some to consult. I consult the data with the people and then I go back to, to my place. So yeah, it is quite different. And it's a very long project with Fala as well, right? Yeah, it is a two, with the Fala, it is a two year project. Uh, I'm about in the middle. I would actually need it much longer because uh, there is so much work to do that even though the project itself will finish uh, next year. Is it next year? 2021. It will finish in a year and a half. So uh, it will actually not uh, finish completely because I will keep working on that. And there will be a lot... Uh, left because I will do the most urgent things to comply with the objectives, but there will be a lot uh, left on the side and left for uh, the coming years uh, to do. Yeah, yeah. It's a lifelong project, maybe. Yeah, it is actually a lifelong project. Wow. Okay, well, thank you so much, Miro. This has been really nice, really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Can you tell us where our listeners can learn more about your work? They can learn more on the web of Seedlash, www.cidles.com. 
EU. EU, EU, it is EU. And under the tag of project, uh, you can find this project. I have some publications in Academia Edu and uh, Google Scholar too. Okay, I'll but link those. mostly the current thing is on the on the web of the project. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Eville Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ling Field Notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Thanks for listening.